Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Tonight, we're talking about getting ready for equine breeding season. If you've joined us, you're probably considering breeding a mare this year, or maybe you're an experienced breeder with years of raising foals behind you, or perhaps this is the first time you've bred a mare. Either way, breeding and raising your own foal is an exciting and rewarding experience, but at times it can also be challenging. Uh, you're in luck. We're joined tonight by a board-certified equine reproduction specialist, Dr. Ryan Ferris, who's here to answer your questions. Dr. Ferris runs Summit Equine in Newburgh, Oregon with his wife, Dora Ferris, um, Dr. Dora Ferris, and where they offer reproductive and sports medicine services. Prior to moving to Oregon last year, Dr. Ferris was at Colorado State University's Equine Reproduction Laboratory. Welcome, Dr. Ferris. Thank you, Michelle, and, and to the horse for asking me to be on tonight. I'm excited to hopefully uh, uh, provide a little bit of education and a little humor maybe uh, tonight. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit, Dr. Ferris, about your interest in the specialty? Sure. If I if I had a primary interest, it's really in mare subfertility. And, um, you know, I, I when I was at Colorado State University, I had a, a pretty active research program going really in infectious endometritis and trying to figure out why mares develop infections, especially chronic infections, and how best to treat them and overcome those infections. So I guess if I had a specialty or an area of, of passion, it's really the subfertile mare and trying to figure out how to get more embryos and more offspring from those mares. Okay. Well, I want to give everyone who's listening live a quick review of our Ask the Horse live format. Uh, we're going to be starting with questions that everyone submitted during registration. If you're listening live, though, you can ask questions via the chat. Um, if there's something that comes up that you'd like a clarification on, or if you have a question that you'd like to submit live, we invite you to do that. And we're going to do our best to get to as many of your live questions as possible, as well as ones that we have uh, set aside from registration. So don't be shy. Go ahead and send in your questions. Uh, and with that, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Um, I want to start with these first two questions. Um, Dr. Ferris, uh, that have to do with uh, industry and becoming involved in equine reproduction. We have Raina, who's in Vermont, and she wants to know what is the best path for becoming a foaling attendant or a mare and foal handler? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of people get started, um, depending on their background and stuff, doing an internship at a large breeding farm. Um, and that's going to get them a, a chance to get exposed to, to a lot of foalings and how to handle foals and take care of foals. There's also some great internships in um, Lexington, Kentucky on the thoroughbred studs. Um, I know the University of Kentucky organizes a lot of those internships um, available for students. They're usually from roughly January to May, June-ish, you know, about a six-month time period. And, you know, really that gets you your feet wet, gets you a lot of training and a lot of exposure. Um, and then from there, you know, it'd be pretty easy to submit your resume to um, a lot of breeding farms and feel pretty comfortable with your um, capabilities and your background after spending such a, a six-month intensive period um, foaling mares and, and being around foals. So do you recommend like an equine science degree and getting into one of those programs or is it something that you can step into as a trade uh, without going to school? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think there's both options. Um, you know, some of those um, internships are as part of a a formal four-year degree, but um, a lot of them, you know, you don't necessarily need to have a four-year degree um, and potentially could just step into those positions and, and you know, look at it as, as a career path for you. And our next question is related. Joseph is in Louisiana, and he wants to know what are some major things an extern or new graduate should have as a fundamental knowledge before visiting or joining a reproduction clinic? Yeah, it's, a, it's another great question here of, you know, trying to figure out. It's always a little intimidating going to a place and, and being expected to know things. And, you know, if I was to give you any advice, Joseph, it's to have a great attitude and jump in and be involved while you're there. You know, I mean, that's what a lot of places are going to be looking for and can get you the training and education. Um, if you wanted to brush up on something for, for joining a repro clinic, I would say really having a good knowledge of the normal mare's estrus cycle of what happens, how do they grow follicles, how does ovulation work, um, the formation of the CL and rise in progesterone and, and just sort of the normal cycle. If you understand the normal cycle, then it's pretty easy to plug you in and, and explain all the, the hormone therapy and what's going on during the times of breeding and things like that. And I think that segues into our next question, which we'll, we're going to dive into um, our practical questions with, with breeding. Amy in Nevada said that she's never bred a mare before, but is considering um, breeding a mare this year. What are the steps involved in selecting a stallion and getting your mare in full? Yeah, it's a, yeah. So with this, you know, the first question that you need to answer is, when do you want your full born? Which there's several aspects of that um, question. Um, and so part of it is, you know, does your um, breed or, or the industry that you're, you're looking to, that your horse is in, um, does it have a time of year to typically um, have those foals born? So I'll give you an example here. Um, racing quarter horses, cutting and raining tight mares oftentimes want early foals, um, January, February, March-ish time frame, as compared to warm blood um, breeds for dressage and jumping, oftentimes they don't start breeding and, and have foals born until April, May, and June. So some of that will depend on, on what industry you're in. Um, and then that also brings up the aspect if you're going to have an early foal. If you want to breed your mare in February, March, um, or so, you may have to get her to cycle earlier. The normal physiological breeding season for the mare isn't going to start till roughly May 1st. So with that, if you want to start breeding her in February, you're going to have to put her under light. Um, and with that, we give them an artificial photo period. So we have 18 hours of light um, and six hours of darkness. And so um, for, for us here in Oregon, where it's just getting, starting to get dark here at five o'clock, um, the lights came on about uh, 45 minutes ago and they'll go off tonight at 11 p.m. And so that'll give them that 18 hours of light and six hours of darkness. And, and that works pretty well to get mares to cycle earlier in the season to allow you to have that early foal. Along with that, um, you need to start thinking of picking a stallion in which case there's there's tons of options available to you um, and, and trying to figure out what stallion is going to match up best with your mare. And then from the veterinary aspect, you know, I always try to think of, 
of what kind of semen are you going to get? Is that going to be fresh semen, cooled semen, where the stallion might live? For me in Oregon here, the stallion might live in Texas, and they're going to collect the stallion in Texas, package it up, cool the semen down, and then mail it to me via FedEx um, for arrival, or frozen semen, um, which allows you a lot of opportunities as well. Um, with frozen semen, this could be a stallion that, that unfortunately may have deceased or potentially allows us to access stallions um, from other countries such as Europe. Um, that semen can be imported and then made available where you can have a full here from a stallion that lives in Holland. Now, with that, um, there's some changes in expectations. When we think about fresh semen, usually we talk about a 60, 70% per cycle conception rate, which means that if we bred 100 mares with fresh semen, we'd expect 60 to 70 of them to get pregnant. When we go to cooled semen, um, that pregnancy rate's gonna drop a little bit, um, 55, 60% um, with cooled semen on average. And then with frozen semen, it's gonna drop a little bit more, um, 35 to 40% per cycle conception rate. So, you know, from a reproductive standpoint, from my end, when clients are picking picking stallions and whatnot, you know, I, I would say cooled semen is, is much more common than fresh um, um, out there. And, you know, if there's a stallion that's available for cooled semen, um, usually things are going to be a little bit easier than trying to go the frozen semen route. But with frozen semen, I also understand that, you know, certain genetics are only available. For instance, if you're trying to breed from a stallion in Holland, um, the only way we're going to get semen from that stallion is to breed with frozen semen. So, Dr. Ferris, um, you mentioned something about the mare cycling and using the lights to uh, help induce that early. Mm -hmm. So, I'm in Oregon as well. Uh, I'm about three hours from you. We're, our, we're getting dark about the same time. But, you know, we just had the solstice and on the 21st, and I swear the next day my mares were acting like they were starting to cycle. So am I imagining it or am I just blaming all my problems on my mares heat cycles? It's, it's a, a great question. Um, with that, you know, there's a couple aspects that could be going on. Um, one here um, in Oregon, we have a relatively mild climate. Um, and sometimes that can allow mares to, to cycle a little bit more year round. Um, definitely when you get down in Texas and Florida areas, um, a lot of those mares may cycle year round um, as compared to being in a colder climate like Colorado. The other thing that could be going on is that your mare may be starting to think about cycling. And with, with that period, um, so mares go through four kind of phases throughout um, the season. Usually in November and December, they're in a period called anestrus, where they're not really cycling. And then they go through a period of, that's called transition for about 60 days. And with that, the ovaries are kind of firing back up from being in anestrus and being shut down. And during that time period, they grow follicles, but they don't actually ovulate. So because of that time period, these mares may show like they're in heat, but they're not actually cycling yet. And then usually after that 60-day transition period, they start cycling normally ovulating every 21 days, and they'll do that through about October, in which case then they'll go into a fall transition period as well and, and start shutting down for the season. Okay. So it, it might not be my imagination. It might be that we're starting a transition phase. We might, we might just be starting a transition phase. The other thing for, for light therapy, um, 
Um, not that I get any funding from them, but they make a, a blue light mask as well. So if you don't have the capabilities to put your mares under lights in the stalls, um, they actually do make a nice little mask that's battery powered and it comes on at dusk and stays on till 11 o'clock at night. Um, and that can work very well for inducing cyclicity in mares as well. And I think that's a nice segue into our first uh, live question. Um, we have, um, let's see here, it's Jill. Um, she says that she is an experienced breeder and is experienced with foaling, but that she bred her first thoroughbreds this last year. Late January due dates seemed like a great idea until the temperatures dropped. She wants to know what she should do differently when foaling a mare in winter. So. Um, on the other side of this, so if you breed early, you're going to be foaling early. What what can Jill do to prepare for those foals that are coming soon? Yeah, so it's always a little problematic, and we definitely faced this when I was in, in Colorado, where it would be sometimes below freezing um, till March or April um, at night, and, and that's when most of our mares are going to foal. So if you could um, do a couple things. Um, one, having some nice towels uh, available after foaling to help dry that foal off. Really the first, you know, if you once that foal is dry, they can actually maintain their body temperature pretty well, but getting them dry initially is going to be the, the best thing. Um, having some sort of heat source, such as a, a heat lamp um, available to, for that first 24-hour period just to get things get that full nice and warm. You do have to be careful of, of having fires and obviously we have straw and shavings around um, these mares at the time of foaling. So just be careful with, you're gonna use some sort of heat lamp or infrared um, type heater uh, to have a nice little warm spot for that foal that, that fire safety is definitely addressed as well. Um, and then really once that foal is beyond 24 hours of age, as long as it can stay dry, they actually do really well. Um, in Colorado, we would oftentimes, they make these cute little foal blankets, um, and we would oftentimes put a blanket on those foals for the first couple weeks of life, um, just to help keep them a little bit warmer. But as long as you can keep them dry and keep them out of the wind, they actually do really well. We have another question from our live audience. This is from Mia, and this was a question that we actually got several forms of this question during registration as well. She wants to know how old is too old to breed a mare for the first time. She said she just retired her 17-year-old show mare and she'd love to have a foal from her, but she's concerned she might be too old. So what what are the likelihoods that, um, that Mia's gonna get her mare in foal and then what are some options to help her get in foal or options to get a viable foal from that mare? So it's a little bit of a complicated question. So I'm gonna talk about um, just, there's age-related effects and then just some physiological effects or pathological effects that happen to mares as they, as they age, even if they've never had a foal. Um, and so first off, just to start with normal background, mare peak fertility happens in mares about four years of age and then stays pretty high till about 15. At about 15, it starts to go down a little bit. And then at 20, it really starts to go down again. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't get pregnancies out of these mares, but it just becomes more difficult. So she's kind of in that early teen range where, you know, things are going to start becoming a little more difficult just because of an age-related event. And, and the reason for that is that the mare forms all of her oocytes on her ovary. So every, every egg that she's going to have for her lifetime, she formed in utero. And so those eggs have been sitting there for 
for, an ex for this example, 17 years and, and a few months because they're older than she is actually. And so with that, those cells have undergone some changes. And, and so we do see that it's a little more difficult to get older mares pregnant and they do have a slightly higher rate of early embryonic loss as compared to a young mare. But that doesn't mean that she can't have a foal. Now, the other, other complication with with a mare that's 17 that's never had a foal before, um, a, a topic that we could spend the next hour talking about um, is the older maiden mare. And um, with this, um, we're not exactly certain of the physiology behind this, but, but essentially what happens is if these mares haven't had a foal, by the time they're 15 years of age and older, their cervix quits relaxing when they're in heat. And while we can get an AI pipette through their cervix and, and get them inseminated, um, there's a natural um, inflammatory response every time you breed a mare, whether it's with fresh, cooled, or frozen semen. And because that cervix stays closed and doesn't relax like a, a, a younger mare's cervix would, um, they can't clear that inflammatory fluid from their uterus. So I would expect that that mare would need um, maybe a uterine lavage following breeding, and, and probably be put on some sort of ecbolic agent or some sort of agent to help enhance uterine contractions to help clear that fluid. And, and I kind of find with these older maiden mares that about, you know, 30 to 40% of them come in and they're relatively straightforward. Uh, maybe need a lavage, some, some uh, drugs to help con cause uterine contractions to help clear that fluid. And they do really well and have a great pregnancy rate. Um, about another group, 30 to 40%, um, are relatively easy, you know, as well, but take a little bit more work, maybe a couple of lavages in there um, to get them um, kind of cleaned up and, and to support a pregnancy. And then there is a, a population of mares, 10 to 20%, that no matter what we do, we're never never able to get that fluid to completely clear from their uterus, and, and it becomes extremely difficult to get pregnancies from them. And then the only real option at that point is to do uh, something like in vitro fertilization or ICSI, um, to try to collect oocytes from that mare to to generate offspring. So in that option, then, would you use um, another mare to carry that full to term, or would you use the original mare that you collected from? Yes. So for if we were to do in vitro fertilization in ICSI, um, usually we would um, use a surrogate mare just because of, of this mare's age and whatnot, even though she's never carried a foal, every time she she goes through a cycle, there's a little bit of inflammation that actually happens in their uterus. So sometimes there's even just a little bit of fibrosis in those mares' uh, uterus um, after 17 years of, of just normal aging events. And so I probably would recommend that if you were to go to that step that you would use a, a surrogate or a recipient mare um, to help carry that foal for you. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of 17-year-old mares that, that are maiden mares that come in that um, we're very successful with. So just because she's 17 and hasn't carried a foal, I think, you know, um, getting a good veterinary exam done on her. And, and to be honest, um, no one's really able to predict how well she's going to do till that first cycle um, and then kind of see how things go from there. Um, and so once we, once we inseminate her and see how much fluid she's going to retain post-breeding, and how easy um, that fluid is to, to treat and get cleared up, um, that'll really be the question of, of if she's not pregnant on the first cycle, do we try additional cycles or not? And so if Mia's mayor at 17 
is able to get in full. Is there a higher risk for her pregnancy or her delivery because of her age and the fact that she hasn't fold before? So just because of her age, there's a little bit higher rate of embryonic loss. So you're gonna see a higher rate of embryonic loss. So she might get initially pregnant at 14 days, but there's a higher rate of embryonic loss through 60 days of pregnancy. Once we get her to 60 days of pregnancy, um, it's pretty similar to a young mare um, out the foaling. And, you know, in my experience, these mares can foal out um, routinely. And once she has a foal and, and kind of stretches out that cervix um, again, um, these mares actually become really much easier to get in foal in future pregnancies um, than what they are this first one. So we have another question from our live audience. It's from Michelle, and it has to do with treating a severe yeast infection in a mare. She says, when treating using a product meant for humans, do you have any thoughts about the effectiveness of a suppository-type tablet versus the much messier but higher-volume foam? And do you have any thoughts on using grapefruit seed extract as an additive to flush or address yeast or, quote, super infections. Um, do you have a, a response for that, Dr. Ferris? Yeah, yeast-type infections can be very difficult to treat, and um, I, I would recommend reaching out to a, a reproductive specialist to come up with a program um, for treatment um, for these type of mares. And if it's a recurring yeast infection, um, I might even recommend, usually we don't get antifungal susceptibility um, testing done, um, but there is a lab in Texas um, at the University of San Antonio Health Science Center that, that is able to do antifungal uh, susceptibility testing. It's actually a human laboratory, but they will receive veterinary samples um, for analysis, and that would help you select what antifungal agent you put into the mare's uterus or potentially even treat her systemically with um, to help clear this infection. Um, you know, one thing to, to mention is that a lot of the antifungals are quite expensive um, for use, but at least if you had that information of what agents would actually be effective against your mare's uh, yeast infection, that hopefully would allow that infection to be cleared. Um, and, and, and at least in my experience, if you can add in systemic therapy for two to three weeks, that seems to really help um, clear a lot of these infections, uh, especially the recurrent infections in these type of mares. The other thing to be conscientious of with these mares is to really look at them closely and go, why is this mare getting a, a yeast infection in the first place? Is it due to something with poor perineal conformation, um, cervical tears, um, um, or um, something like metabolic disease that's suppressing her immune system? So just treating the infection will clear it, but if it's coming back repeatedly, um, you also have to look at why this mare keeps getting repeated infections and, and what can you do to address those other underlying issues, because otherwise you're not going to be successful in your treatment. The question about the grapefruit seed extract, um, I, I've, I haven't used it. Um, we, we did a little bit of work with it um, in vitro against bacteria when I was at Colorado State University and didn't see a lot of effect um, against bacteria. Um, so I don't know if it would work in a, in a yeast organism or not. Um, oftentimes, yeast are much more difficult to kill than bacteria. So since it didn't work well at, at, at killing bacteria, I would, I would kind of presume that it wouldn't work well against yeast, but I, I haven't used it for that particular treatment um, in, my, in my clinical practice. Okay. 
So, Dr. Ferris, you mentioned metabolic issues possibly being related to uh, yeast infection. So, let's go to our uh, a question from our live audience that has to do with metabolic issues. Susan says that she planned to bring uh, to breed her Morgan mare in the spring, but she has equine metabolic syndrome. It's been well managed for the past few years, but she did founder this past fall. Is it safe to breed her and are there any special considerations for a mare who has EMS and a history of laminitis? Yeah, so it's it's definitely a hot topic in, in the equine industry of, of metabolic disease and I, I look at metabolic disease um, for two kind of standpoints. One, we definitely see mares that have um, repeated anovulatory follicles where they grow a follicle and it looks like they're going to ovulate and then that follicle um, just kind of degenerates and, and goes bad. And the sad part is the oocyte never is released from that follicle. So there's no hope of getting that mare pregnant on that particular cycle. Um, it seems like there's a, at least a, a, a weak correlation with metabolic syndrome and anovulatory follicles. So whenever I have a mare with repeated anovulatory follicles, screening them for metabolic disease is, is one of the top considerations. When those mares are, are well managed, um, and, and it's kind of a difficult question to take over the phone um, without actually seeing the horse in front of me, um, <clears throat> it would kind of depend on how severe the laminitis event was and how she's doing um, following uh, treatment for that. If she's doing really well from it, I think that, you know, it's probably safe to breed her. Um, I, I always do worry about mares that have a history of laminitis and breeding them to carry their own pregnancy just due to the fact that they're going to carry an extra two, 300 pounds of body weight and, and have a, a, a cascade of hormones that are rising and falling throughout pregnancy. And it is, it is recognized that sometimes we can see mares that, whether it's due to the change in hormones or the increase in, in weight um, that they're bearing on their feet, um, have a flare of laminitis during pregnancy. So if that was a concern, um, embryo transfer could potentially be a great option for this mare, and then you don't run the risk of, of the laminitis concerns in your donor mare, and you could have that embryo transferred into a young, healthy recipient mare um, so you still potentially could get foals out of her without running that risk of, of with the laminitis. Our next question is from Anne in our live audience, and she said her says her mare is still young and in year-round training, and her trainer keeps the mare on regimate. Uh, she wants to know if she'll be able to breed her in the future uh, with her having that continual treatment. Yeah, there's been... It, it's always a concern whenever you put a, a horse on, on long-term hormone supplements like that of, is it gonna affect her reproductive career in the future? And, you know, several studies have looked at that. Um, um, most of them last seen um, two to three years of putting mares on Regimate for two to three years and then trying to breed them after stopping the Alternagest therapy. And um, the Alternagest is actually cleared from the system pretty quickly. So within 48 to 72 hours, it's gonna be completely gone from the system and um, your mare should start to grow follicles again and cycle normally and, and shouldn't have an issue um, becoming pregnant in the future um, unless she becomes an older maiden mare, in which case then the issue is more just because of her age not, and, and changes to her cervix, not from her being on, on Regimate or Alternagest previously. 
Our next question is from our live audience. Emma has an eventing mare who sustained an injury in the fall and her vet has recommended a lengthy rest period. She says that she's a very nice horse and she's been towing with the idea of breeding her while she's not working. Could breeding her have any negative impact on the injury recovery or could her injury hinder her ability to conceive, carry, and deliver a foal? Does Emma, did Emma say what her injury was? She did not. And so we okay. can ask. So I'll, if I'll, Emma... speak, I'll speak globally, I guess, to, to injuries and stuff like that. You know, for the most part, a lot of these um, um, horses that come from an athletic standpoint that have an injury, oftentimes we, you know, because they're going to be on six to eight months of stall rest um, potentially. And so it's, it's a great time to consider breeding those mares while they kind of have a, a time period off. And usually they're not going to gain significant weight till about six months in full and beyond. And so by the time you get to that stage of, of pregnancy, most of the lesions are going to be relatively healed up and, and able to support that um, uh, weight gain that's going to happen during pregnancy and, and really shouldn't give her any problems for, for foaling. Um, probably the only injury that I would say that you may want to talk with your veterinarian about would be for uh, meniscal injuries to the stifle. Um, I know those take a long time to heal with, that's what my wife focuses on is sports medicine is, and those can take a long time to heal. And I, I would worry about maybe that increased weight gain on the stifle, um, potentially aggravating that injury. Um, but, you know, for the most part, a lot of suspensory issues and, and soft tissue issues like that, um, by the time we get the mare pregnant and get to six months in full, most of those injuries are, are relatively healed up and the mare is starting to be rehabbed a little bit to get back to work after the pregnancy. Okay. And Emma did respond and say that it's a tendon injury that the mare is dealing with. So does that. Yeah. Influence? So I would say that, you know, no, I think that's, that's one of those cases that, you know, um, I, I probably talked to, to your lameness veterinarian and it asked them for sure. But, you know, in my experience, Usually, if you said, boy, we're just going to start breeding her tomorrow, um, you know, we're looking at, at by the time she gets pregnant, it may take a cycle or two. So she's not actually going to be pregnant until mid-February. We're talking about no real significant weight gain until almost August. And so by then, I would hope that that tendon injury is relatively healed up. And and really, she's probably starting back into a rehab program at that point um, and, and getting going um, again. And so... I think it would be very safe to consider breeding her. Okay. We have a question from Sylvia in our live audience, and Sylvia's question is about the the working woman mare. Um, she ha says that she trains and shows a lovely dressage mare. Her owner has mentioned that she would like to get some foals out of her before she gets too old, but the trainer would like to keep her in training, and so would the owner um, because she's making such good progress. What's the most efficient way to breed a mare while she's still in training, and how much time would an assisted repro technique take out of the training schedule? Yeah, so, um, you know, probably the best option for that mare would be to consider embryo transfer um, because that would allow you to collect an embryo transfer into a surrogate. The surrogate carries the pregnancy and, and your donor mare can go right back to competition. Um, usually, I, I, the quickest it can happen is about two weeks. Um, so um, it gives us about a week to follow the mare, get her inseminated, get her bred 
And then roughly seven or eight days after ovulation, the embryo recovery will be performed. So sometimes for my clients for, that have horses in competition, we'll try to pick various time points throughout the summer or spring when there's two to three weeks off in between shows that we can, we can go ahead and work on her and, and recover embryos out of her. If they said, boy, we're just going to take her out of training completely during this time period and, and elect to do it. I normally tell a client that it could take four to six weeks just so that way it gives us a couple, not every mare is going to get pregnant every cycle. And so that gives us a, an opportunity to work with her, get the embryo out, and, and hopefully it happens much faster than four to six weeks. But at least that sets everybody up for, for success and we can send her back to competition a little, a little sooner than we anticipated. The only uh, caveat with that I would add is that um, just remember that older maiden mare syndrome is that, you know, it would be lovely if, if mares could carry a foal to term sometime, you know, 10 to 12 years of age, because that's going to really set her up for being able to be successful in her later teens and whatnot, maybe when she retires from her competition yeah. career. So Dr. Ferris, 10 to 12 is right about the time that mare will be doing Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I know, right? You know, that's that's everybody's everybody's standpoint, and and I guess thinking about that, of uh, if you breed um, warm bloods and whatnot, um, a great time, and and oftentimes this is what's done in Europe is when they're three or four, um, and just starting under light work, and and maybe not even under light work yet, it's a great time to consider letting them have a foal at that age, and then that will buy you many more years, so that way when they are going Grand Prix. Um, you can just pull embryos from that mare and and not worry about the older maiden mare issues that that could pop up. Okay. Her next question is from Jane in our live audience. She said that uh, she had a mare reject her foal last year, and uh, she's going back and forth on whether or not to try breeding the mare again. Do mares ever figure it out if they tried to hurt their first foals? So the Full rejection, fortunately, is not very common in the the equine um, realm, and you know we see it more commonly in Arabian mares um, and and mares that have rejected a foal previously. There's a higher rate for for future rejection as well. It's not 100% of mares, um, but it is higher um, as compared to a mare that accepted her foal. Most of the time, you won't have that mare have a full rejection in the future. So. It is something that, you know, it could happen again for sure, um, you know, but it's, it's a less, less likelihood um, to happen again. Um, and I guess the things to think about is, did that mare ever accept her foal at, at any point or was it completely, absolutely, no, I want nothing to do with this thing. And if, if that was the answer, I'd probably, you know, maybe lean towards not trying to let her carry a foal or, or at least be anticipating that she, she may reject that foal again in the future. Um, and so unfortunately some of those mares just are not meant to be rude mares. Our next question is from Hannah and it, in our live audience, and it's a stallion related question. She wants to know if there is a prime time or age range when a stallion's fertility is at its peak when selecting a stallion to breed your mare to should age be a factor in that stallion. Yes and no. You know, I mean, I, it, peak fertility in stallions kind of matches about that of a mare um, and that, you know, fertility rates stay quite high till they're, you know, 12 to 15 years of age. And then we'll start to go down just a little bit as they enter into their their mid-teens and then drop again when they get over 20. 
Um, and so I think it, oftentimes I think of, you know, what is the combination of the, of the stallion and the mare you're trying to breed? Um, this, the hard part is, is that oftentimes the really great stallions that have been proven to have, have successful offspring and, and competition, they oftentimes are older stallions. So if you're breeding an older stallion, I would encourage you to pick a younger mare because um, they're going to be more for, fertile than an older mare. And so that way, hopefully you can help overcome some of that slight drop in fertility. Um, um, the worst combination I, I like to get is the mare that's 22 and the stallion that's 23 and, and hoping to get a pregnancy or, or an embryo out of, you know, um, if I have an older mare, I'd oftentimes ask, you know, can we pick a younger stallion that's somewhere six to 15 years of age? that, you know, might have a little better fertility. And as with all things, fertility is, is a completely individual event. And so there's definitely stallions out there that are in their 20s that have fantastic fertility. And there's stallions out there in their 20s that, yeah, things are not working as well as what they did when they were 10 or 12. So um, I think, you know, asking the owner of, of the stallion that you're considering, um, a great question or a fair question is, how many mares did you breed in, in this last breeding season or two and how many mares were pregnant at the end of the season and you know another question that goes along with that is how many shipments did it take to obtain that pregnancy on average i think those numbers there can really help guide you of do you want to pick that stallion or not we have another question from our live audience uh, gretchen says that she's heard that she needs to have a breeding soundness exam done on her mare before she breeds her what is involved in a breeding soundness exam and what should her vet be looking for it's a complicated question and and um i i, I think it depends um on a little bit of the mare um, you know, a, a very basic breeding soundness exam would be a, a thorough ultrasound exam looking um, for any, any abnormalities, evaluation of the perineal conformation, um, potentially a speculum exam if, if needed um, to evaluate the cervix and, and cranial vaginal vault, um, and then a culture and psychology of the mare's uterus. And, and really that culture and psychology is to um, look for any infectious or inflammatory conditions that could be present in the mare's uterus. Um, that would probably be the initial breeding soundness exam for a lot of mares. For mares that have a history of, of not getting pregnant, um, an endometrial biopsy um, may be warranted in those mares um, where they take a, a biopsy instrument and get a little snip of the endometrium. They send that into a laboratory where they look at that tissue under a microscope. And, and give us an idea of, of, of the status of the endometrium um, and how much inflammation and fibrosis is in that uh, mare's uterus and, and give us some expectations for um, issues that we may have during the upcoming breeding season and what's the odds of getting that mare pregnant and getting her to be able to carry that foal all the way to term. Our next question is from Sarah in our live audience. Sarah says that she has a mare with suspected uh, placentitis currently at 292 days and on SMZs and Regimate. Uh, she said that they want to check cervix, um, uh, um, I'm having 
I'm having a hard time reading this question. The cervix prior to another breeding, would when would be an appropriate time? Can this be done at a stage of pregnancy, being that she is on regimate, or do we wait until after foaling? I don't know if I did that question justice reading it, Dr. Ferris, but do you have enough information there? Potentially. Um, so I think anytime you have a mare with, with placentitis, you know, um, usually I, I don't do a lot of reproductive evaluations of those mares um, at that time. Um, I worry about supporting that pregnancy and, and hopefully getting that pregnancy to go all the way to term and, and getting a live foal on the ground. You know, definitely um, I, I typically don't recommend breeding those mares on full heat after, after having placentitis, giving them and letting them come back on their 30-day heat um, and, and looking at them at that point. Um, in between that time frame, you know, probably 20, 25 days after foaling would be a great time to assess that mare and, and look at her, you know, the critical things I'd be looking at is her perineal conformation. Um, does this mare need a cast lick or, or other procedure to try to reduce our risk of placentitis in the future? And, and definitely evaluating that mare's cervix to see if there was some sort of uh, explanation or or the cervix was involved in causing uh, the plat initial placentitis case that you're uh, undergoing right now. And so um, normally I'd like the mare to be in diestrous or have ovulated and be under the influence of progesterone during that examination because the cervix should be nice and tight and closed. And what I'm really trying to evaluate is what that cervix would be like while that mare is potentially pregnant and and try to get an idea of is there a is there um, any adhesions or cervical tears or, or abnormalities to the cervix that could explain why this mare got placentitis? Okay. Our next question is from Beth in our live audience. Uh, she wants to know if back issues or spine issues, such as kissing spines or SI joint issues, make it more difficult or painful for a mare to carry a foal. It's a great question. Um, I have managed several mares like that, um, and and usually they seem to do pretty well, um, you know, carrying a foal to term, and you know, and it definitely is going to depend on how severe the case is and things like that. But but usually the ones um, that I've been around, they do pretty well. They're able to carry their foal to term. Um, I'm always a little concerned with some of the mares with with severe SI pain or or kissing spines of, are they gonna be able to have normal uterine contractions and the real strong abdominal press to, to help push that foal out? But I haven't noticed any, any differences in those mares um, as compared to a mare that doesn't have back issues. So I don't think it should preclude you from considering breeding that mare. We have a question in our live audience from Sarah. She said that uh, she is shipping semen to a client. A few years ago, the mare was unknowingly exposed to creeping red fescue for a lengthy period of time. The mare has been covered several times by a different stallion with no luck in a pregnancy. Is there any correlation between creeping red fescue and long-term damage to the uterus? The mare has been biopsied and checked, culture and psychiatry. Uh, Autology um, are clean, yet there's still no foal. Yeah, um, off the top of my head, um, I'd probably have to do a liter literature search on creeping red fescue specifically. But with with fescue in general, um, um, 
Dr. Jim Brindemule um, did a series of studies um, early on and saw that um, fescue grass, um, and really with it, it's the um, endophyte infected um, fescue. And so I'm not sure if red creeping fescue can become endophyte infected or not. Um, in, in mares that were fed um, endophyte infected fescue, um, they did show a lowering of pregnancy rates. But once you took those mares off endophyte infected fescue, um, they had normal um, uh, pregnancy rates and, and whatnot um, following that. So I think just exposure to it previously, I don't think that's probably the source of your, your subfertility um, and, and, you know, probably need a, a, a detailed workup in that mare um, to really figure out what's causing her, her subfertility. Yeah, and I just finished this week um, a review uh, with an expert in uh, fescue toxicosis um, about that specifically for a download that we just released um, that Jennifer, our web producer, can put the link uh -huh. in the chat um, for Sarah if she wants to read it. My understanding from that, and I'm definitely not an expert in this, but that it's um, that it's specific to tall fescue, and I don't know enough about grasses to know whether or not creeping red fescue is classified as one of those tall fescues or not. But um, Jennifer will pop that uh, URL in the chat, and um, hopefully that can get Sarah some information, and we can look more into that because it's an interesting question. I find the fes fescue toxicosis is very interesting and confusing to me. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I agree. Uh, um, yeah. Michelle, can I make one more comment here? Um, yes. As as I'm giving all these recommendations of saying yes, you sh should breed your mare, or should not breed your mare, and whatnot. You know, I think one of the key parts to to having a successful breeding season is really to have that team available to you of of who's going to help you get this mare pregnant. And, you know, I mean, I think my recommendations are kind of the global 40,000 foot view average case with this, but, you know, definitely having that conversation with who's going to help you get that, get that mare pregnant and, and really walk through um, the situation at hand. Cause definitely that, that opinion could change. And my opinion might change if the mayor was actually standing in front of me. Um, and then the other part of the successful team is, who's going to help you take care of that mare during pregnancy and making sure she's up to date on her vaccines and any issues that could arise during pregnancy. And then making sure you have that successful team for the actual foaling process of, are you going to fold the mare out at home? Are you going to take her to a center? Where's that at? Um, when are you going to bring the foal home? Do you have the facilities set up to take care of that foal once she gets home? And, and as the question popped up earlier, you know, having a foal in January where it can be colder and, and those type of situations, um, you know, just just spend a little bit of time now before the breeding season really gets kicked off to to plan out if you're a new breeder of of who that person is and and what your team's going to look like to optimize your success. And Dr. Ferris, you mentioned um, vaccination for pregnant mares, and we we did receive questions about vaccinating prior to pregnancy, but can you talk to us a little bit about what the recommendations are for vaccinating a mare during her pregnancy and why that's important for the foal's health once it's born? Sure. So there's two basic um, kind of timelines for, for vaccination in the pregnant mare. Um, one is a series of, of vaccines against equine herpes virus, and that's to prevent equine herpes 
equine herpes virus uh, abortions. And so we typically administer those vaccines at five, seven, and nine months. Um, and so that's to help protect the mare in case she got exposed to equine herpes virus from, from having an abortion due to that. Um, and then at 10 months in full, we, we almost give the mare her spring shot series, if you will. Um, oftentimes this is a six-way vaccination. And the goal of this vaccine, um, so I'm going to pick on a mare that, let's say you have a mare due January 15th. December 15th, she's going to essentially get her spring shot series that she might get in April or May. And the reason we give that spring, that um, vaccination in December is that it's going to boost the antibody levels in her blood. And just prior to foaling, she's going to start to produce colostrum where she pulls the antibodies out of her bloodstream and, and concentrates them in the colostrum. That foal is going to nurse that colostrum and absorb those antibodies that are, that are from the mare, and that's what's going to protect that foal from developing those diseases for the first several months of life. And um, a, a website that has, has great details of exactly um, good protocols and whatnot, um, potentially somebody could post the URL, um, the American Association of Equine Practitioners um, have great tables for uh, recommendations for vaccinating the pregnant mare um, and even the foal. And um, they're pretty straightforward and, and something that you can, you can download right off the website. Okay. Um, our next question is from our live audience. It's from Leah. She said that her mare colicked last year when she was pregnant. Fortunately, she, she recovered with no further issues, but it made her think, can pregnant mares have colic surgery and are there risks for the mare or foal? Yes, pregnant mares can have colic surgery. Um, it always does worry us um, a little bit of putting a mare under general anesthesia, um, and especially for, um, depending on the reason of why they're colicking and, and what the surgical um, issue is, um, you know, the severe endotoxemia that oftentimes is associated with colic, um, we do worry about the effects of that endotoxemia on the pregnancy and, and the ability to maintain that pregnancy. To to help overcome that, um, uh, your veterinary team, um, when you take her in for colic, if your mare did have to go to colic surgery while pregnant, oftentimes we'll put your mare on uh, a double dose of Regimate. So usually Regimate or Alternagest is administered at one mil per hundred pounds. And so for in this case, to help maintain pregnancy during a endotoxic event or, or colic event, um, they may put that mare on a double dose, so two mils per 100 pounds of, of Regimate or Alternagest to help support that pregnancy. And at least in several models of endotoxemia, the double dose of, of Alternagest is much more uh, readily able to maintain that pregnancy as compared to a single dose of Regimate daily. Our next question is from our live audience. Tina says that you mentioned the Catholic procedure earlier. She wants to know what that is and what it's for. Sure. So um, in a normal mare, her vulva should be um, perpendicular to the ground, so perfectly upright. And it should have good tone. So if you went up to um, your mare's vulva. No one does this, but but reproduction guys like me. Um, I wouldn't expect any of you, the the horse owners at home, to ever go do this. But if you try to just open the the lips of her vulva, it should be pretty difficult to actually 
part her, her vulva. Um, in mares with poor perineal conformation, so this would be where there's a, a tilting of the vulva, um, and, and the classic breed that's talked about with poor perineal conformation is a thoroughbred. Um, with that, to correct some of that um, deformity, we make a um, surgical incision uh, along the edges of the vulva and actually suture the top 50 to 60% of the vulva closed. And, and so what that does is keeps the vulva kind of sealed um, tightly and prevents um, the mare from having excessive bacterial exposure up into her vaginal vault um, or air getting up into her vaginal vault, causing irritation and potentially causing placentitis or, or even preventing the mare from becoming pregnant even initially. So that's, I'm sitting here waving my hands, trying to draw a Catholic <laughs> or, or a vulva to show you how to do this. But um, I'm sure if you Googled um, how to do a Catholic, there may be a, a YouTube video um, kind of illustrating um, how it's done um, um, and, and whatnot. Um, we do use lidocaine during all these procedures and so the mares are blocked and so um, hopefully they can't, they can't feel the procedure. Um, and definitely working in the back end of a mare I always like to make sure that they're very well blocked because um, my life is kind of in that mare's hands at that point as we're doing the procedure. But yes. it's a relatively quick thing and, you know, um, and it really can help restore um, fertility in some of these mares with, with um, a history of poor fertility. So, Dr. Ferris, I just recently got a, a four-year-old mare off the track. She's a thoroughbred, and she had a, an eye injury, so she was sedated. So while she was sedated, um, my vet did a full just once over on her and discovered mm -hmm. that she had had a, a caslic and that there weren't any sutures there, um, but she was grown, she's grown together. And so that's something that I am, I've just, I've never had a mare that's had that done before. So I was surprised that one that she was grown together, I didn't realize that that happened um, and that the sutures would dissolve, I guess, um, unless they were removed. Um, but why is that done on thoroughbreds that haven't been bred? And um, should I be concerned about her being grown together? Will that impact her future potential as a broodmare? Yeah, great question. So I guess I, I should have explained that with the um, Catholic procedure, we actually, because it's a surgical incision and we actually suture the, the tissue together, it actually heals together. And we either use absorbable sutures, in which case they don't have to be removed, or non-absorbable sutures, in which case in about two weeks we'll come back and remove those sutures. Um, in a young mare, um, especially in a, a thoroughbred racing mare, um, oftentimes they, a Catholic is put in when they're roughly two years of age and, and heading off to training. And the reason for that is that it's, it's well known in thoroughbreds, they have poor perineal conformation and oftentimes poor vulvar tone. So just um, when they're walking or, or being exercised, um, sometimes you can hear these mares aspirating air up into their vaginal vault. And it's thought that at least in, in some of these mares that that aspirating the air um, up into their vaginal vault can be quite uncomfortable for them. And because of that, um, we put a Catholic in them and then that prevents them from aspirating air up into their vaginal vault and causing that discomfort during training. Um, as far as being a broodmare in the future, it doesn't preclude her from being a broodmare and oftentimes um, we won't even remove that Catholic um, to go ahead and initially get her pregnant um, unless she's going to be live covered. 
And um, usually the general recommendation is about 30 days prior to polling. So oftentimes when we give the um, 10 month vaccinations, um, uh, we go ahead and remove that Catholic. We reblock the area with some lidocaine and with a simple pair of scissors, um, just open up the Catholic and then that allows the mare to pull out um, uneventfully. Okay. Well, thank you for explaining that because it was an emergency situation with the eye injury, so I didn't get into asking questions about it, but I was definitely surprised when the vet, you know, I was yeah. following her around as she's doing it, and I was like, hey, that doesn't look right. <laughs> so she's like, no, it's <laughs> fine. And then we moved on to the eye. So um, anyway, interesting. Um, so our next question is from our live audience. It's from Jeanette, and she has a 15-year-old retired endurance mare that has ring bone. She gets Equiox every day. Um, she'd like to breed the mare, but is wondering if the NSAID is safe for a pregnant mare. Yeah. Um, it seems to be, it doesn't have a label claim for use during breeding or, or pregnancy per se. Um, I've managed several mares that have been on Equiox and, and haven't noticed any adverse events. And um, Dr. Margot McPherson at the University of Florida has actually, um, as part of the placentitis model, um, has added Equiox into um, uh, the, the various medications that we give. And it seems like Equiox can really be helpful in placentitis cases. So it seems like it's very safe um, to use during pregnancy and, and really has no adverse events. So um, I would be fine having her on, on Equiox um, during that time frame. Um, there's a little bit of literature out there if you look that um, some of the COX-2 selective agents like Equiox um, may uh, inhibit ovulation. Um, a study that we did just before I left CSU, um, we put a bunch of horses on Equiox trying to see if it would um, inhibit ovulation, and we noted no, no increased incidence of failure to ovulate um, in mares on Equiox versus those not, not on Equiox. So um, if that keeps her comfortable, I'd rather have her comfortable and, and be lameness-free um, than uh, taking her off the Equiox for breeding for sure. So Dr. Ferris, we've talked about mares being too old for breeding, but we have a question from our live audience from Bob who wants to know how young is too young to breed a mare? Um, you know, I would say that when a mare is three, um, it's, it's, they're usually quite mature and, and whatnot and, and very safe to go ahead and breed. Um, Two-year-olds, um, Oftentimes they're just not mature enough and, and sometimes you may stunt their growth a little bit um, and, and their development. If you go ahead and try to breed a two-year-old, um, if it's later in the year, like if you have a, a mare that was actually born in January and, and you know, by June or July um, of her two-year-old year, she's probably old enough to, to go ahead and, and try to breed. Um, but a mare that, you know, I'll pick on another mare, a mare born in May, in her two-year-old year, she's probably just not old enough um, to really consider breeding, and you're probably going to be better off waiting until she's three years of age to start your breeding program. Okay. Uh, we have a question from our live audience from Nora, and Nora says that she's heard that C-sections are risky for mayor and full. Is this true, and why? So, in the... And, Yes and no is the um, complicated part. 
Um, C-sections are pretty rare in the horse as compared to, I'll, I'll pick on humans, where they're relatively commonly performed. Um, and oftentimes when we do a C-section in a mare, um, it's for a dystocia or, or where the foal isn't able to, um, is in an abnormal position and isn't able to pass through the birth canal. Fortunately, um, mares with severe dystocias that might require a C-section only happens in about 2% of foalings. So it's not very common. Um, and usually by the time that the, the dystocia is recognized and the mare gets to a referral center where a C-section is possible, um, oftentimes that foal is not going to be able to be saved. And, and kind of the data out there, once the mare breaks her water, you kind of have this golden period of time for 30 minutes where um, there's no real decrease in, in survivability of that foal. After 30 minutes, every 10 minutes, there's a 10% reduction in foal survival. So that's oftentimes where in a, in a severe dystocia that might warrant a C-section, um, oftentimes the foal survival isn't going to be as good. For the mare, um, usually most of these mares do quite well following a C-section. And um, those mares, you know, the, the morbidity and mortality is, is actually quite low in mares that have a have a C-section, they do pretty well, they wake up from anesthesia really well, um, and they can do quite well. And, and really, um, you shouldn't let that C-section necessarily um, preclude you from breeding her in the future. Um, obviously, you're going to have to let things heal for a little bit, but a lot of those mares continue to go on to be very successful brood mares after having a C-section. Okay. Well, that hour went by really fast, Dr. Ferris. <laughs> um, yes, and, it did. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we are out of time, um, but I want to thank everyone. We had some really great live questions and interaction, so thank you for everyone who is listening live and sending in questions. Also, thank you, Dr. Ferris, for joining us and answering these questions. Um, the, your answers have been really great and helpful. It's been very interesting. Yeah, thank you for all the great questions and, and discussion tonight. Um, it, it was a lot of fun, and, and this hour flew by. Um, it yeah. seems like we just started the, started the discussion. Yeah, and we probably have a lot of ground that we could have covered that we didn't get to as well. So anyway, thank you everyone for, for joining us. Uh, if you have more questions for about breeding, um, you can go to thehorse.com and check it out. Um, also, Dr. Ferris uh, has offered to answer any follow-up questions that you might have. So when you get your uh, your follow-up to this event. If you have any burning questions that didn't get answered, go ahead and send those to us and we'll see if we can take some of Dr. Ferris's time. I think he offered that though right before foaling and breeding season. So we'll see how much time we can get out of you. Right. <laughs> um, Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, again, thank you to everyone. I hope you can join us next month. We're going to be talking about equine infectious anemia. Uh, until then, from all of us at the horse, we hope you have a great night. <laughs>